ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to another episode of the Broken Arms Podcast. I think we're I think we're approaching episode seven now. And in a departure for our normal schedules, we thought we'd treat you to another interview. And this week we have for you Mr. Pete Brewer, otherwise known as Putney Pete, the coach of Putney Girls High School. Um, and a man who has very much spent his adult life in the business of either rowing or actively helping others to row. Aaron, did you enjoy our little chat with Pete? Our little chat with Pete was superb. After listening to Pete, I think that somewhere between the ages of about 18 and now, I, I missed the course that you take where you develop into a fully formed adult who just comes on and says, well, this is how things are, and this is how they should be, and this would be sensible, and this is how we're going to do it. Um, without any preamble or any of my kind of digressive flights into whimsy, when you say that we are approaching our seventh episode, is is this not it? Are we are we still moving towards it? Or are we actually in it now? I'm, I'm just checking. No, we're, th- this is it. This is our seventh episode. Your keywords this evening will be Pete, Putney, Pete, inclusion, panthers, and or squirrels. You can have panthers by itself, squirrels by themselves, or if you hear panther squirrel conglomeration, you can take a shot with that as well. Okay, so we'd just like to welcome Pete Brewer to the podcast for the interview for episode seven and known colloquially apparently on the riverbank as Putney Pete. Welcome. Thank you very much for agreeing to have a chat with us. Uh, We spoke earlier and you had a huge amount of very interesting things to say about rowing, about rowing clubs, about bringing people into rowing, which I found particularly fascinating. There, There was an insight there that um, I'd never really considered. Really happy to have you on. And I was wondering, maybe before we kick off, you could just give us a little history of who you are, where you've come from, and how you've got to where you are now, and where you are now is. A Brief History of Pete, the book that Stephen Hawking was going to write, but went in the other direction instead. <laughs> oh, I, don't, I think my life's a bit too complicated for most people to understand. I'm still working my way through it. Um, it's, I like to sort of call myself the accidental athlete. Um, so when I was at school, at manual school, um, there in Clapham, um, I was just desperate to be a sports person, but my hand-eye coordination was shot, couldn't catch, couldn't kick. So found myself, um, desperate to be on a team. So I ended up on the chess team. Um, there I was on a team. I was the happiest Larry. There we go. So, um, so stereotypes aside, you kind of get the sort of characteristics of people who are in the chess team. I love, love maths. I'm very friendly, but there we are. And then all of a sudden, uh, a couple of years in the manual, we have to go rowing. So have a crack at rowing, get on a boat, hate it. That's it. No more rowing for me. <laughs> and, you know, so the whole idea of, of, of rowing sort of, you think, oh, it's gone. You know, sort of, it wasn't a thing. And then we end up going to get dragged along to Swindon, I think it was, to do an indoor rowing championships. Okay. And um, end up on an ergo, did an ergo, came off the ergo. It's like, that's a bit weird. And then everyone's was like, oh, 
you're pretty good. So all of a sudden I've done this thing and all of a sudden this whole thing I've been searching for for almost a decade of acceptance at something sort of, you know, sort of came to. It's like, wow, you can do something incredible in sport. And that's really where the, the journey started. And then it's sort of been a learning process of like stages. So from 14 to 18 is actually how to put that power into the water uh, in an effective way because you know sort of not having really the, the the background in sport which other people have and sort of always been sports teams and stuff it's sort of like think oh all i've got to do is work hard you know i've got this power and that must be the key and then it sort of took a long time to realize that actually there's more than just raw force so by the time it took me um to get that i've got one row at national schools in my last year at school and i got a silver medal and so all of a sudden there's this sort of things like actually yeah you know i can do chess but i can also i can row and that then took me on to university at university i went to the university of london um royal holloway and then two sort of separate rowing careers happened you have the college rowing and you have the university of london rowing and i thrived in the University of London program in terms of where it took me physically and, and the successes and the things which that would, you know, sort of open me up to and, you know, all these various things. But the college rowing showed me a different side of the sport about enjoyment and, you know, camaraderie and sort of sort of less um, sort of, you know, take up all your lifetime, you know, training so just to have this sort of balance, you know, where you enjoy what you do, but that's it. So after university, I um, applied for the Henley Charitable Trust, um, which is an amazing thing. For two years, I, I went around deepest, darkest Kent to uh, Medway Town, uh, Maidstone, which I think you guys know. And, um, yeah, that, that was my home club for eight years or so now. So, uh, yeah, and then um, after that, I found myself at Putney High School, where I've been ever since. There's so much there in your trajectory that really, really chimes with my own experience, the idea of looking, looking for something. And then when you kind, of, you kind of finally find it and you find the acceptance of it, which is my, uh, really echoes my own pathway into, into rowing. So I can definitely relate to that. Lewin was always just the standard deviation from the mean, incredibly powerful athlete. Rowing was always going to find him. I tried everything from running for the local Harriers to, you know, boxing when I lived in London, which was a great workout, but you do get beaten up a lot. Um, and then when I found rowing, it was like, yes, this is it. And the, the last thing I just wanted to pick up on, can you say a little bit more before we go into Putney about um, the, the Henley uh, Charitable Trust, but what does it actually do and how did you get involved and what did it mean that you could then do? Well, it's, it's a partnership with British Rowing. It's funded by the Henley Stewards Charitable Trust, which do some, some great um, things in the background. And basically, um, every or at the time, every year, it would fund for eight coaches, if I'm, my memory's right, in different regions to help support the development of community rowing projects and sort of, you know, sort of, set up an infrastructure in three different clubs. So each, you know, week we would coach, you know, learn our trade um, at, at these various clubs and sort of build sort of programs with state schools, etc. in the area. So Maystone, sort of Maystone Girls Grammar School, um, <laughs> for example, was one of the ones which, you know, I, was, oh, I worked at. And, 
you sort of set these channels idea of sort of a filtering the clubs and the community to try and create this sort of legacy where um you know the clubs are supported from the schools within their their remit while at the same time that you get your coaching qualifications so you get your level two level three coaching qualification okay um you actually started developing your coaching career parallel with when you were actually still rowing was that a conscious choice did you like both sides of it yeah it's you know the coaching thing was more uh, again a serendipity uh, as i said the whole thing is i've generally found a lot of the, my time you know i've been very fortunate with the people i've met at certain times have helped me you know achieve certain things which without maybe having the, the right support around you you know i wouldn't have done it and, and that's what rowing is and that's what hopefully people get from the sport this idea of that you know you you can't succeed generally just on your own with just sheer will. You need that support network. You need to commit yourself to them as well as they commit yourself to you. And that what makes them goes forward at Holloway. You know, their own program wasn't, you know, the highest epitome of, you know, the, the, <laughs> of Rome, but it was, it was fun. But the problem is, is that for it to be fun for me, you know, I needed to get something out of it. And that, while rowing with some of the guys, I enjoyed the, the, the opportunities which it, it, it gave and sort of there were some good outings. You know, the the talent pool, and it's something which I'm a, a, I've created a, it's another project called Project Lobster to try and help with, is just bring up the standard of, of the rowing by just sort of passing what knowledge I had to the to the others in the, in the club. Um, you know, and there's a learning process about it. It's difficult because you're the same age when you're coaching at university as a university student. So it's a different rapport. And, you know, it's, you know, when you get older and there's that sort of gap, then it's easier to have that sort of, you know, sort of difference in differentiation. But when you're coaching people the same age, you're sort of peers, etc., or some older, you know, it's, it's a slightly different mix. But I enjoyed the fact that, you know, I was part of something as always it was that sense of belonging and, and, and it just felt felt right and you know they started winning stuff and you know their wins became my wins in, in some bizarre sense yeah thanks pete loon do you want to lead back into putney i just i just wanted to ask ask for that that kind of parallel development pete thank you for that no i mean that it's kind of fascinating and and, and i love that kind of uh idea of moving into coaching that their wins, the athletes' wins, become your wins. That's that's a, a sort of lovely sort of concept there. No, I, I was I was just hoping that you could sort of let us know a little bit more about your hit history at um, Putney High School and and where you've brought everything through. He's run away. I think we've scared him off. It's my Geordie accent, isn't it? Indeed, it does that to everyone. Are we a man, can he, lad? Sorry. It's <laughs> <laughs> quite all right. We were just wondering if... Was that, that small small child interrupting again? <laughs> so, yeah. So, yeah. Oh, yeah, apologies. Standard. No, no, it's fine. We were just wondering if my Geordie accent had scared you off, but uh, obviously Oh, not. no, no, no. Don't worry. <laughs> <laughs> no, I was, I was, you know, so I was, I'm, I'm glad I'm episode seven and not following Die. Uh, <laughs> 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 You've gone to Pinnacles and then you've gone to me. It's like, oh. <laughs> it's well, I mean, I very much die recommended you. That, that, that's yeah. like one of the things, but it's... it's um, 
We're skipping from mountaintop to mountaintop, Pete. Mountaintop to mountaintop. <laughs> and, and, and in between, we, we just spend an hour and 20 minutes cracking wise at each other. But yeah, Putney High School. Um, you, you, you've been there for quite a while now, and you, it seems like you've sort of made a very successful project of it. Yeah, it's, you know, it's a, the whole point is that it's, you know, it's, it's not just what I've been able to do. It's, it's, a, it's a whole group effort. It's, as I said before, there's all sorts of things which come in at the right time which have helped do it. But the, the thing which, you know, I, I guess... Um, I guess I take the credit for, in, in a sense, is just bringing the idea of a, of a community to the the rowing program, and and sort of the girls sort of enjoying it, and then obviously by them enjoying it, the numbers rose from about twenty to about one hundred and forty, hundred and fifty, where we are now in a decade, um, you know, and and that's really sort of based on you know trying to get this formula of you know why row you know, why do you sport, you know, and, uh, you know, some mission statement, which I believe is, you know, it's very sort of poignant is what is the purpose of a rowing club? And, you know, my view on it is to facilitate the opportunity to row. That's the being all and end all. It's like we are, a rowing club is there to serve as, as a gateway into the sport. You know, we're not, it's not sort of high performance center, you know, that's something different. It's about giving that opportunity. And, you know, what I, I generally found is just by just making the sport accessible and, and fun and friendly, just attracted, you know, girls into the sport, you know, which that they could then, you know, sort of push on in their own um, goals. So whether it was to succeed at school level or just have, the skill set so that when they go to university and things are a bit more controlled for them, they have already this happy enjoyment of the sport, which they can then kick on with when the timing's right. Because it's the school world, and I, I still think I'm haunted by it a little bit myself, is there's so much going on. And to be a high-end rower, you have to sacrifice so much. And sometimes you don't know if that sacrifice is your, yours, or something which you'll be encouraged to do. And then so when other things build up, like exams and social life and all these other things build up on top, the thing which you enjoy the least subsides. So if you've had this relationship, you sort of do it because you feel you have to. When you get this free will, you, you sort of stop back. So the, the idea of just having an environment where you enjoy what you're doing, it's your choice to be there you know, sort of is empowering. And that's hopefully what the girls feel they, they get when they, when they turn up. Yeah. So, so, sorry, Loon, do you want to? Yeah, sorry. I mean, sort of, I'm not a rowing coach in a school background, but I, I work in, in a school and, you know, I'm, I'm a chemistry teacher and I'm obviously, I constantly try and encourage kids into the school program. Now, I'm, 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 th there's just so much in what you've said to unpack. But the, f the first thing is like, how do you create this environment that sort of, you know, certainly when I talk, when I try and encourage the kids at school um, to sort of give rowing a try, so sort of maybe try it for terms, stuff like that, when you, you've got kids there who are athletes um, and you think they could make a difference to the rowing club, 
more than half of them say, look, it's just, it's just a cult. Rowing's a cult. You just go there and you just get indoctrinated into it. And if you don't like it, you just have to get out as fast as possible. How, how, how do you create this atmosphere where you've got, you know, 140 girls who think, oh, this is great. Let's go down the rowing club. It's, it's a laugh. Um, what do you say to them? What, what environment do you, do you create down there? I mean, I'd, I'd, love to, I'd love to know more about that. Is this because you're haunted by your own experiences of rowing having gatekeepers and you had to knock three times, turn round Widdishins nine times, bring a black cat and a, a thing of mandrake root down to Norwich just to get through the door? It's partly haunted by the fact that I'm aware enough of who I am to know that I'm a slightly autistic masochist. And if you say, look, here's something where you can hurt yourself more and you'll get a result out of it, I respond to that really, really well. And it's taken me about 20 years to work out that not everybody responds to that kind of motivation. But it, it takes time, and obviously, you know, the, the point, as you said, it's about changing attitudes and beliefs. So, you know, of any bits and program, you know, people have opinions, whether they're right or wrong, or what something is. And obviously, rowing's got a big issue at the moment with what people perceive you need to have to actually row, you know, whether it's, you know, come from a certain area, have certain financial backgrounds, whatever, to actually get in. And it's a break, breaking down these ideas. At school, it's just the idea is that. It wasn't the sport you did if you couldn't do other sports. It was just something you could do to enjoy. Um, Tristan McLaughlin on Twitter recently showed, showed this thing about uh, Dennis Burkamp. You know, the only crew team which needs to win is the first team. They're the only team which has to worry about winning. The rest is all about development, enjoyment, and that sort of benefit. And it, when you turn, when you're at a rowing club, you've got all these things you've got to deal with. You've got environments. You know, you've only got as many boats as you have. You only have, you know, whatever hours you're given. And it's about learning from that, adapting and pushing forward and about how to make the most of that. So the idea is that you should always do the best by the individual. And okay. um, so that's something which I've st I stole off a, <laughs> off a little motivational video is that if you're a doctor, you wouldn't prescribe the same medicine to every single patient. Yeah. So as a rowing coach, you can't prescribe the same um, environment for every single individual because we're all different. We all learn different ways. And it's about trying to find a system which incorporates as much that so you can relate to as many girls and boys or adults as, as possible on their own terms and by making them feel included. And the first thing I learned was that there's a load of girls who wanted to row but they're not the same speed as each other. So that for the experience wasn't enjoyable because some were, you know, fast enough to wait and others were slow. And in the end of the day, you know, obviously in the grounds of safety, but, you know, the, the principal thing was is that you only have X number of resources. We can't take you all at the same time because you're not getting the same experience. But rather than go down the route, it's like, okay, we're just going to take you girls who are the fastest. Yeah. Um, we created this system called... The, the panthers and the and, and the squirrels cool so the idea is that the squirrels are social rowers they get on the water but they don't necessarily do all the races that could do the odd odd social race locals you know point where they would be competitive they wouldn't necessarily win but 
they would have the full experience of rowing without the same pressures and hourly gearings, but they would still be active on the water. And then you have the other group, we call them the Panthers in, in this in our sense, that they train, you know, more frequently, more regularly, you know, and they 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 would target the more prestigious competition. So that way you've you maintain participation levels, your sessions run smoother because there's not disparity in boat speeds everyone feels better because they get what they want from the outing rather than feel that they're either a hindrance or um, benefit to the, the um, to the, the group. And then, then those environments then build themselves. And the girls, you know, who rode in the squirrels were very happy to be squirrels and they were just, just love the fact they could get in the water and stay active. And those who got the race, you, you know, you love, you know, socialize the squirrels. We still, when we did the, the, the rowing events, they were still welcome, but, you know, the, everyone enjoyed it. They got out of it what they wanted, and it wasn't a case of okay, I've got to either go full pelt or quit. There's sort of that middle ground, and, and that's sort of really the sort of the point which allows us to get numbers higher because we have this 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 sort of second um, half of the to the, the club. Just going to pick up on a couple of points, if I, if I can, Pete. The first thing is that um, when when Di came on and, and Lewin interviewed her because I'd broken my foot and wasn't available, she made a very similar point about when she started, there was a, there was a middle ground where you could row for fun. And, you know, uh, she talked about her experiences at Lancaster where she, you know, they, they'd go out and then they'd go to the pub and there wasn't this, this pressured environment um, where unless you're going full pelt, as you as you say, and unless you're you're in it to do things and achieve things and win things, that 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 middle ground seems to have kind of gone away. And it sounds like you've actually brought that back in with this idea of the panthers and the the squirrels. And just to link that back, um, when Lewin was describing, he talked about maybe seeing someone at school who was an athlete and thinking, you know, bring them down, they could be good for the club. H- have you kind of reversed that to? Um, there's there's more to your rowing than high performance winning things pushing your limits there's a there's a whole kind of holistic feel to it would that be a fair takeaway yeah it's a it's a fair takeaway the idea is that sports empowering you know and 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 the problem is is there's a lot of people who leave school not empowered by sport um and that comes down principle when you know boys and girls in their formative years sort of 10 to 12, they're put in sports selection processes to be in the first team for whatever sport it may be when they're 11. Now, they might not have done these sports before. They might not have grown into themselves by that point. You know, that's the coordination is shot. But what happens is that sports teams from schools and, um, you know, to an extent clubs, um, then stay in those first teams. You're a first team, I think. And then those who aren't in it have this then perception of themselves they can't do sport they take that with them for the rest of their lives um you know and the bit is is that rowing is in a very very my opinion strong position to turn around this because it's a sport you come into later you generally don't come to 14 yeah but because of most schools don't have rowing programs you generally come into it as an adult life and I, i can't think of many other sports which do adult learn to like by the time I'm 18, I'm meant to be able to play cricket and rugby and football and hockey and all these other things. So if I turn up to one of these clubs, you know, so from personal experience, there's no like, oh, this is how you have to do it. You know, you should have learned that 10 years ago. You're a bit late on this. Yeah. And 
this is where I feel rowing can capture these people who then turn out to be six foot two, six foot four, you know, just like, you know, why aren't you doing basketball, you know, or these, these very capable, you know, people, you know, the sizes are relevant in rowing as, as we know, just sort of just using that as an example of like these people could have been complete, you know, boat movers thing, but it's open to all, but they get this thing they can't do it and they take it with them for the rest of their life. And then, that inactivity has this negative effect on everything else. And all you need to do with a kid who's like myself, who's never had that chance to be in a team by just saying, you're, you can do this. You're in the first boat. That enough is empowering. And then all of a sudden the confidence and all the other things come from it. And it doesn't have to be rowing. Everyone's got different sports to be good at, but the fact that we always feel that doors are, shot you know you talked about having to go down three three times to join norwich you know yeah. it's like it, it's it's made very difficult to join some sports clubs because it's you know it's almost like inwardly looking all the time we're not always looking out to to get people it's like the only time we really want people to turn up is when we're going to learn to road course because that fits our system like the rest of the time no you you come back when it suits us and the problem is is that you know, we're losing people in the sport of rowing because we're not accommodating to the changing lives people live. You know, it, the people work hard jobs. You can't do all the training to be a high-performance rower and be a worker. So, you know, the, the, there's a my favourite story of, of proving this whole theory wrong is Pars Priory in 2011 when on four sessions a week, Monday land, Wednesday water, Saturday double water, they qualified for Henley Royal for a whole year. And the average age, you know, of the crew is, is we're not talking you're straight out of unis. We've got, you know, 30, you know, either side of the 30s. But four sessions a week, you can qualify for Henley Royal through the time trials. And for, for me, a lot of people just want that. Yeah. We've talked about that. We've, we've yeah. talked about the demands and how, how rowing loses people when they reach... You do it through uni and you kind of carry on as you start your career and then there, there reaches a tipping point when you're doing, you know... Agecroft was 20 plus hours a week you reach this point where it's so it's it's so hard to balance and you you basically have a work life and a rowing life and nothing else and and just I mean I don't know about you Lewin but speaking for myself I've mentioned on the on the pod I think until I was 18 I was I was tiny I was like the smallest person in my year at school because I was the the idea of not being part of a team or not being quick enough or not being coordinated enough and carrying that feeling of being enthusiastic but not being good enough you know I got a very late growth spurt in the in the post I shot up to six foot two which is small for a rower and 13 and a half stone got muscles and I tried to find all these sports and I, I was carrying and then I found rowing and I became part of a team and it's like if you if you do the work then you you there's the boat waiting for you at the weekend and these are these are not just your crewmates these are your these are your mates and you form really tight bonds and you set goals and you achieve things together and the feeling of empowerment and doing something it was wonderful and it was transformative and that that you know what you're doing there and making the point that rowing is losing people because outside of outside of learn to row sessions we're focused on our season we're focused on the head season we're focused on head of the river we're focused on getting to henley we haven't quite got time for you now but come back when we can fit you in people might not want to knock three times they might just want to go out on a boat and have a bit of fun and that you know we can provide that because rowing is fun and i think that's the message you're giving 
No, no, I, I, I was just going to say that uh, I did have a slightly different history. I, I was, I was always kind of a sporty kid who was quite good at a lot of different things. Um, and it was actually, but, but then I, I do have this monomaniac tendency. So when somebody actually got me, so I recognize that I'm a little bit, my experience is not really relevant to like growing a sport, but I was actually really happy, you know, with age crop when they just said, do 20 hours of training a week, do your three eighteen ks Um, it, here you go three by 10 minutes at, you know, 140, just, you know, really kind of smashing it out and hurting myself. That kind of really appealed to me. I just, you know, there, there's this other side that does need to be emphasized and, you know, thinking about that and thinking about the way that you can do it. And as you said, you know, past priority, four sessions a week and you make it, you make it to the Wednesday. That's, that's an, that's a brilliant achievement. Um, and there's a lot to be said for that kind of, right. How can we get there and still have a life? Um, it, it was something, it, it was like a, a silly little survey I put up on Twitter, you know, what, what steals the most rows? And I said, you know, is it triathlon? Is it road biking? Is it CrossFit? Um, is it parkrun? And everybody who replied to it said, no, it's life. It's just like, you, you can't, you can't maintain that, that thing of all the training that you think that you need to do for rowing and still have that life with spouse with kids with a job um and and the, i think that's one of the things that we've been like obsessing over on on the on the whole sort of podcast is trying to find that middle ground where you can be a rower and you can have a life outside it yeah well, we're working on that a tradesman at the moment with the revolution Ooh. the revolution the, the revolution i love the title <laughs> I mean, yeah. you, you, you seem to have a load of absolutely brilliant sort of catchphrases going thing. on. So you've yeah. got Project Lobster, the, the Panthers and the Squirrels, um, the Revolution. Oh, These the are all revolution. things that I just want to co- copy and just like... T-shirt. It's yeah. got to be a T-shirt. We've already people. got T-shirts for Lobster, Panther and Squirrels. So we're, we're oh, here. brilliant. Yeah. They probably... They probably won't fit Loon and I, but you know, um, if they do, can we can we put in an order for one, please? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Don't catch I'd catch a lobster t-shirt. Yeah. There are already kind of barriers in rowing, and speaking from kind of looking back at our own competitive um, eras, there was that sense of to be a proper rower, you've got to do the work, you've got to do the hours, you've got to be seen to be training hard, you've got to be pushing to collapse all the time how do we break down how would we break down that that idea that you can still be a rower without having to do you know the 20 plus hours a week and would there be a sense of well you're not a proper rower because i i i do more i do more sessions than you you know is that something that you found you've had to break down or is is that like an invisible caste system that still exists there's, there's there's two ways of looking at that uh, the first thing i just leave you with a little phrase is that if you go to the library and sit in the library for four hours and don't do anything, you're not going to take on all that information. If you sit in a gym for four hours and don't commit to it, you're not going to get fitter and stronger. It's about the quality of what you're doing. And like some of these sessions which are written, you know, some people do do them, 
but most of them don't do them to the standard which they're set out to be. You know, there's quite a lot of them sort of like, oh, are these six instead of eight? Or, you know, and it, it is, this is about the quality of what you're doing and the standard which it's performed at. And, and that's, you know, something which I think we sometimes get so obsessed with completion. Like, when you're not having a good day and you force yourself to do something, you're not making yourself any better. Your physical health and mental health, all these other things that, you know, they're all the same thing. You've got to look after yourself, but you feel you're obliged to. I think, for me, the idea is being smart with your training. Um, we looked, we're looking at something, you know, again, sort of the, the, the trace and revolution idea of maybe doing something in partnership with Pure Gym, maybe. You know, it's a concept we, we were sort of looking at where when you join Tradesman, money, 100 quid of that or whatever it costs to be a you know member of Pure Gym is taken out of that because we can maybe look at a bulk um, payment. So you can train near your gym, you can train near to you, so you only come down to the boat club for testing and water sessions. So you're cutting all that travel out of your life to try and the impact off you. And I think we've shown during lockdown that you can do the training without being at the club. The amount of people going out running and doing all these other things, you know, we, we can do it. You know, there's these environments, people are doing the Zoom group calls, you know, the, the Cabron Club can support that sort of thing further, you know, by just being smart. It's not what you can't do, it's what you can do. And we always look at this sort of, as I said, this is where I feel rowing hasn't moved forward, really, in terms of how it approaches its running. You know, over the last 40, 50 years, it's like, this is the water times, the training times, this is where you train. You know, if you want to grow a club, that's great. But the problem with growing a club is more members. More members means more demanding equipment. If you have enough equipment support, that is a, you know, all this conflict. But if you're limiting when people are coming down, it means there's still space to do this, this. There's not demand on the coaches, not the demand on uh, everything else. And there's not the same demand on, on the, the athletes of always having to be, okay, well, I've, you know, in, in London on the Taiwan, we've got this luxury of an array of boat clubs from the high performance ones to the ones that are recreational. But some boat clubs are the only boat club in their area. So if they're only offering performance rowing or they're only offering social rowing, they're not offering the sport up really to everyone. It's about having um, clubs in place which can support all aspirations and supporting the framework to do it. You know, and allowing those one or two people sometimes at clubs to just do so much, take the load off them and just sort of, you know, let them do the important stuff by like getting people in the water and, and that bit and not overwhelm them with all this other stuff, which is important, but doesn't need to be done in this, this same manner. You know, I think we're, I think we need to be as a, a sort of clubs better at sort of trusting our members to do stuff and not all have to be so boat club centric on, on everything we do. <laughs> Brief. <laughs> no, no I, I think that's that's brilliant. So, so I mean, we, you, you, you've talked about. I mean, th this is something that's occurred to me before. Is I mean, but almost in the other way around. You've talked about partnering with a gym chain there to just like say. I mean, is it would it be an official partnership or just be something that would happen through well, the club? Obviously, any business can do a partnership with with pure gym or any other gyms yeah. etc anyways these pure gyms they, they're quite cheap and they're all around the place so if you've got a, you know go up north for a, or down south for a, a work meeting you can still go to the pure gym because they're, yeah. they're everywhere they so can do it so there's as that idea you know the, the, 
it's just one way of looking at the idea. Like not every hotel has an ergo in it or, or yeah. bits and pieces. It's just to you know make the possibility greater. You know, make the idea that you know if we're doing work, you've got hard week, but there's the opportunity. If you can do that, then it's great. You know, it's not always going to be feasible, but it, it just means there's less pressure on people who suddenly, oh, I didn't do the, the Wednesday one, so I've got to do it Friday night, and then they come in on Saturday, you're already drained. Uh, you know, cause yeah. the, so it's, it's just really maximizing the opportunities. You know, so you don't, if, if you cycle to work and back, that's a training session is, in some senses, the way you do it. It's, there's all these ways you can sort of keep training as part of your lifestyle, but not have it take away from, you know, the home time and other bits and pieces. Fair enough. Fair enough. Um, I mean, on, on that kind of thing, sort of like taking on the example of like the squirrels and the panthers, yeah. do, you, do you think sort of like within adult rowing, there needs to be almost a squirrels league? So, so kind of like, I don't know if it's going to be a boat class or it's going to be designated races um, or designated crews within races but some way of saying, right, these guys are, we're accepting that this is a different league. This is maybe League Division 2 as opposed to the Premier League. And these guys are racing with each other. And your high-performance guys, your Agecroft, your, you know, your alumni clubs, they're racing with them. Is, is that something that would be helpful or...? Um, I think the university system had it quite well worked out with a freshers events at Bucks. So it's your first year, then you race against other people. It's their first year. And then after that, it's just intermediate or senior. And I think the point system, you know, I know everyone is, you know, this is the worst thing to mention because I know everyone has their own opinion on it, but that already breaks you into bandings on ability. You know, there are obviously there's a number of ways to sort of, get around the system only do one race a year or whatever to keep your points so you know but in theory if you're competing it does work out well but um the the, the important thing is first if we we're trying to nurture um people into the sport and the worst thing i found coaching adults is that you, you do the stuff they learn to roast generally do two sessions a week through sessions a week roughly you know because that's you don't want to scare them off too soon and they've done that, and then you say, okay, guys, we're going to do your first race. We're going to go to Chiswick. We're going to do Chiswick Regatta International. There we go. And then all of a sudden, St. Paul's first, you know, J15 yeah. turns up with and destroys them um, by a country mile. And, like, this, that's not, not rotten. You know, there's nothing to say that St. Paul's boys shouldn't be in that category. They're entitled to it. But the negative effect is on that is that, oh, we're going to get, get our, you know, these kids who train four times as much as us are going to just destroy us. So in that first year, and this is we come back to the point of that love of the sport, you know, regattas. If you know, we were big fans on this podcast of a Peterborough, um, you know, just, just enjoy <laughs> rowing for what it is, you know. And then once you have the year, you, you then have your, your understanding of the, of the thing. You've got, the, the, you know, the next year starts. Okay, we're now, you're now on the point system. But for that first year, you know, it's important because for me. I, you know, I lost so many races before I finally won one. Um, yeah. I had this whole perception I couldn't win, you know. And as soon as I won one, then I believed I could win. Uh, and I think having an extra handicap of losing 
to kids or whatever, you know, it, it's going to just kill that, that aspiration because things. So if you always race people in the same position as you, you know, it's, that, it's like that first win from novice to once you win your novice, but you can never be novice again. It's like that's that done. So I, I, you know, I bring that back of some form description, but apart from that, the bandings generally do themselves. You know, when you get to Met and all these other things, people generally enter themselves in the, the appropriate categories and the, the time trials now at the start of these events ensure there's close racing. So I think it's just for that first year. I think if we're going to keep people in the sport, which is I think where we're struggling at the moment, the retention, uh, I think we need to, to, that's one area we need to look at. And that's that first year of how do we protect the, their, their experience of these complete newbies, um, you know, and, and when they go out. Yeah. So, so if not a league, then just protecting the space to just engage with the sport, have fun with it, get a feel for it, and also you know get a love and a rapport with it. So, but so it doesn't necessarily have to be like a league, but certainly give them a breathing space to just have fun and you know learn to love it, you know fall in love with it. You, you, you've mentioned something I, I wanted to go back to was was you mentioned this idea of like sharing. Be- best practice and it's like making sure everybody knows what that is. I mean, what, what have you found is the best way to do that? Um, well, there's, there's so much in that question. Uh, we don't have time to answer anything, but I'll, I'll try and explain it in, in a way that makes sense to me. Okay. Now, some, you know, there's roam programs with professional coaches. They don't need help because yep. they've already got the stuff in place. It's the clubs which don't have that structure in place, which, is my main concern um, in terms of this is that there's a load of universities out there who are self-taught the second yeah. years, the first years, etc. And they've, you know, that the, I said, they've got the environment of having fun down to a T it sounds like, but in terms of good practice, you know, they're learning on the job that 18, 19, they don't have, I know how to run a kit orders. They don't know how to do boat maintenance. They don't know how to do all these various bits and pieces. Um, they're learning on the job and that's great for them. And I was very, you know, I learned a lot by making mistakes at college level, but it would have been great to understand these certain simplicities of things and that the, the Rowan Callan doesn't finish on the first bank holiday of May. You know, there's all these summer races, you know, you know, universities race until the first of May, train, 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 there's bucks, there's your big weekend. And then, okay, so you get in October. My, I think that'd yeah. be great. You know, the project lobster is the idea is take university students or clubs, which don't have, Eights or boats to go into races and give them the opportunity to race so that they can keep racing all summer long. And then when they go back to university, they've, they've raced this bit, they can share their experiences, they can learn from being at their local club because that's the thing. When they leave university, they don't have a gateway into their home club, they don't have these this experience. And then we, we've got these hundreds of kids and you know, university students who leave their program and don't take it, they don't have that. Um, gateway and by sharing sort of like this is how you do a good timetable this is the, the practice this is how you take fees this is how you do your stuff so that their life is all about rowing i think there's too many jobs within rowing w- which are necessary complicated and then done by the people who really just want to be on the water helping others but they're stuck doing paperwork they start doing these other tasks because you know they don't know a better way and and just just as like get you give you opportunity to like drop a bit of a plug in is is this is this what you've sort of like 
push the whole kind of like sports boss idea? Um, well, the sports boss idea is, is part of that. Is it's it's all my gripes with rowing and how to solve them. Uh, <laughs> but but it, you know it, it comes from it's a, you know when I was at Putney, it was just me. I was just everything. You know now we've got a wonderful yeah. team. We've got head of rowing. We've got you know all the, these wonderful members of staff who do each year group and you know and and that's phenomenal. And it's just such an exciting prospect. And that the school's been so good in developing that and the parents have been amazing supporting that and it's just been such a journey and I'm so proud and and just you know sort of feel passion to be part of that um but not every club has that serendipity moment they don't have somebody walking to a club who knows what they're doing or someone who's happy to put in all this extra time to make it into something different they just they don't have that knowledge as they potter along and, and this is what I learned on the HSCT there's all these fundamentals in place to succeed but it's about helping support you know once you take the coach away you know what's what have you left and and that's part of the thing about legacy and 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 the thing is that what you know what makes a club successful you know it comes back to that why do we row now is are we going to celebrate the club which wins henley royal or are we going to celebrate the club which gets more people on the water you know what you know what are we doing and i think we we've been so disillusioned by the high end that there's there's so many people not happy at rowing clubs and you pay your fees and where do the fees go well they go on to x y and z and the first date's new boat when am i going to get that run at first date well you're not going to be in the first date you're a recreational rower you're a master's rower but why am i paying for them to get coaching and not get any coaching myself well it's not that spread of the thing and it, it it's a model which for me doesn't work anymore where all your money goes to the top end you know, you've got to get something back from it. And for me, the recreational and the masters generally give more back to a club than any individual. I loved doing the long ergos. I loved pushing myself to a limit and finding how far I could push myself and having that, that um, joy of the top coaches. But at what detriment to the rest? And I like, you know, it's very, you know, the selfish part of me says, well, the, you know, if you want to be a great rower, that's, you know, it's, you can still thrive because the system's in place to support you. But on that tier below, on that below, what are clubs doing to support that? And as we get into these stages where clubs are financially struggling, you know, um, we just need to hold volume of people. We need to address the balance of where the wealth from our um, fees goes to. You know, we need to make, make sure that everyone's paid so collect that all in so that little bit of extra money can go to this we need to make sure that the clubs advertise the, the local population so it gets more money in through bar sales and rentals you know we need to make sure that we you know have access to coaches on a database so we can pull them in for learn to row so they get money but we get people through the door you know and have that access to that information and a lot of people don't have that knowledge and if it's out there, which it probably could be, it doesn't seem accessible because more clubs would have access to that. Um, and that's partly then what the sports boss is. It's having a database of coaches you can call upon if you need a coach, it's access to training camps if you need that. It's making sure that everyone's paid, everyone's paid their race fees, who's towing the trailer. All these small little things, but if they're not done properly, then create a... Um, a, a chain reaction down the line which makes it harder for someone else and, and that's it you, you know it comes back to the simple you need to make rowing simpler 
in its sort of management so we can just get more people on the water having fun. Would you say, though, that it, it, almost, it almost strikes me that if you're the club that's focusing on getting more people on the water, that's almost going to inevitably lead to you having a, you know, a high, perf- high performance is almost going to come from that. If you, if you can, if you can, like you said, you've got 150 girls or thereabouts rowing for you and that's, and then just almost an inevitable com- uh, consequence of that is that you've had, you, you've had victories at Henny Women's Regatta. Um, just because if you get that many people together, you're going to find the good rowers. Yeah, the more people you have through the door, the bigger your talent pool, which will impact on the high end. But we're also talking about keeping the other people in in the pool, you know, and, and getting them on the water. So it's a win-win. You're talking about a win-win. Yeah, no, it, 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 just, seem, it just seems eminently sensible and sort of like a, a kind of a, a much better and much more interesting way of running a rowing club. Um, which, begs the, which begs the question, why don't we do it like that? <laughs> well, I can tell you a little bit of an idea why. Um, yeah, because the, the problem, the problem, I think, was highlighted in the um, the whole of the lockdown issue. Right, certain clubs can get in the water a lot easier than others because of the, the way their clubs are set up. Yeah. Each rowing club is so you know different to other ones. They've all got different environments they're working with. Some have pontoons, some have you know tidal. You got to wade into the you know two inches of mud. You know, everyone's got their own things to, to differ with. So to just as I said, magic wand round this is the standardized way of doing it. You know, this is, you know, everyone's got different histories of how they got there. You know, you said use tradesman example in 1976, it won the grand as a complete tradesman crew, you know, and now it's finding itself, you know, at the bottom of the pecking order on the tide, but it's sort of, you know, the peaks and troughs environments change. The key thing is, is that whatever we do, that we do our best to keep people in the sport, at both bringing them in, but also the ones that work so hard that we support them. So, there, there's it, there's formulas there, but we just got to keep remember support each other. You know, rugby clubs. I know, like, say you either pay this fee or you can have a reduced fee if you commit X number of voluntary hours a week back into it. You know, and reduced fees. That idea of community and rowing clubs sprung up in the 1850s as Victorians got on trains and got to water spots so they could row for recreation. You know, they were part of the community. They serve the community. Does the rowing clubs support the community as much? Do we need to bring that back? Um, I'm not, again, just ripping off the revolution handbook. We're looking to get childcare in the boathouse. Yes. So that the childminder, who comes down and you leave your kids in, in the boat club. You go up, you're out and you come back and have a coffee. You know, it, it's, it's all these things are doable if we just sort of just someone else does them and it's, it's sort of shared that information's there because I'm sure there's some really good practice I'm not aware of and you know sometimes people tell me like oh this is how we do it and I'm like my mind just explodes like wow that's just so straightforward but I'm not doing it so I'm sure there's there's information out there and, and it's not a question like saying that this I'm, I'm I'm very good at finding how power curves could look in books that's what it <laughs> looks like but I you know as much as we want to make girls and boys and crews go to the fastest they can do by ensuring they've got the safest, best technique. The point is to get them to the point where that is the, the most important factor. 
the rest needs to be supporting that. So you see, yeah, it's, 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 you know, there's the practice is out there. We need to share it. We need to make sure that this, the formulas are right for each club because each club's different. But, you know, if crews who, you know, clubs which are basically based out of shipping containers in the Sainsbury car park can get people on the water and keep people rowing week on week, you know, the, the love of the sports there, we just need to support them. God, uh, you know what I think probably the sports need is maybe a, a once a fortnight kind of social media event, maybe where like an experienced coach comes on and sort of talks about all the stuff they've done. I mean, do, do we know anything like that, Aaron? Oh, I, I, I can't possibly, I couldn't possibly comment. I, nothing really springs to mind. Um, maybe we should set something up along those lines. Yeah, um, give it a go. Yeah. Um, that just seems so eminently sensible. It's amazing no one's done it, which says a lot about rowing culture and the, and the way that it's, it's kind of evolved from the period that you talk about when the Victorians suddenly discovered that they could go places and people had leisure time and they had money to spend on leisure that we've, we've kind of evolved almost unthinkingly into what British rowing now is both at the high end, but also filtering down the pyramid and no one's ever really stopped and gone, hold on, let's review our practice. Let's, let's have a, a survey of all clubs. Let's, let's see what the responses are. Let's think about how we can do this to, to grow our sport. Not just, not just keep people in it, but, but grow it. Not just at the high performance end. I mean, Loon and I have just recorded episode four where we were talking about this kind of trajectory from Sydney through to Rio where we, we, we keep winning the heavyweight fours final. It's great we keep winning gold medals, but not everyone can do it. And we don't have a sport if that's only what it's about. It's what you're talking about is so simple. Why has nobody done it? Why has no one actually gone? Let's 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 have a review. Actually, let's let's look at the the health of the sport. Let's look at how we can keep the sport healthy. Why has no one done this before? It seems like a pretty good sort of like chunk of content to digest and a pretty good place to conclude. One thing I, you know, something I'm, I'm always trying to ask um, about, other than the things we've just discussed, what is rowing right now doing right? What, what, what are the best things about rowing in Britain at the moment? And, you know, what do you think that out there right now there's a quick win that we could do to make it better? There's, it's about just sort of, you know, taking what we've learned and, and putting back into place. I think just looking at the women's side, because it's more new in, in terms of the way that more clubs have opened up to it and, and et cetera, the practice on the women's side just seems better because it hasn't got the same historical um, sort of lockdown on, on sort of this regimented structure as the men's programme does. Okay. Um, it, it feels that there's that better balance. You know, I might be completely wrong, it's just perceptually, you know, I just see more and more women's crews at races and less and less men's crews at races. So, you know, there's better, more and more juniors rowing and there's more and more masters rowing. So there's, for what I'm seeing is good on, on a large area. There's, there's good participation there was, except for the men's thing, you know, which I'm seeing, um, which is, it would be my, my own concern. I think there's a lot of success stories and I think it's very easy to dwell on the negatives, etc. But 
just again in lockdown, just seeing how clubs supported their communities and everyone came together from Fenrich's Strava Running Club. You know, let's get everyone involved from all the rowing schools doing like little leagues of each other and online challenges. You know, this bringing everyone together. And I think if we can just keep embracing that culture of, you know, bringing, you know, clubs together and schools together and, and working together as a community, because we need each other. If, you know, if every other club dies, it's a tragic death and you're winning every week just by being just the big fish left. There's no enjoyment yeah. there. We need each other. And I, I just think just keep, you know, the sh using the modern technology, keep embracing these new challenges um, and keeping that level of fun and sort of cross-training, you know, there in, in the background. But I, I think, you know, the, 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 it's easy to get stuck on the negatives. And I think there's a lot of beautiful things to in the sport there's a lot of wonderful people and if we can just make sure that their stories are told you know and we can learn from them then you know we're going to keep going in a upward spiral as i said we're in this wonderful position where we are the one sport which can get everyone active because we are open to learn to our adults you know that's you know a key thing and, and then we can just take rowing to the that glass ceiling <laughs> I think that's brilliant. Thank you very much, Pete. I, I've, you know, genuinely, I've really enjoyed sort of like listening to your ideas and so I trying to process them and just seeing, you know, thinking about how they can be applied at my own school at my own club. Um, and yeah, I, yeah. Thank you very much for that. Yes. Thank you for coming on. That was eye opening. So much to unpack. That is fantastic. Thank you so much. <laughs> waffle. <laughs> no, no, it's, it's, no, it's, no, it's been brilliant. It's been absolutely it's, ideal. It's been brilliant and inspiring and clear eyed and um, fantastic. Thank you so much for coming on. Yeah. <laughs> I didn't let die down. <laughs> no, no. I, I mean, she recommended you and uh, I think very much we're seeing why right now. So, um, yeah, that was great. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm going to call it a day there.